Hello everybody, welcome to River Glen. My name is Isaac Morris and I'm one of the pastors here. Specifically, I work with uh, students and I know what you're thinking. Really, another student pastor? Where has Ben? It's been two weeks in a row with student pastors and three without Ben. And so, yeah, sorry, you're stuck with me, but I really was excited to be with you guys in person this weekend, but due to my grandfather passing away, I'm spending some time with family, um, with them in Virginia, and I'm not able to be here at River Glen in person with you guys. But I still want to say welcome. Welcome to River Glen. Welcome, everybody. Um, whether you're at Waukesha, Pewaukee, or online, we're glad that you're here with us, and thanks for joining us this weekend. So this is only like my third time preaching up here. And so some of you may or may not know me, and that's okay. I'm not upset. Uh, I don't know all of you, and for that I apologize. But due to this, I want you to get to know me a little bit better. So I'm going to take a second and tell you something personal about me, something I'm actually a little bit embarrassed by. Don't tell many people this. Um, but I am a forgetful person. And it's not just your normal forgetfulness, like it's bad. Like I lose my wallet probably two times a week on a minimum, just ask my wife. I lose my keys all the time, I lose my phone, and sometimes the worst part about losing my phone is that it's in my hand or I'm on it when I'm looking for it. Does anyone know what a tile is? I have it with me right here. It's a little thing that goes on your keys and you like push this button and it like pings your everything. It pings your phone, your wallet, whatever you need it to. I use it way too much, probably like 10 times a week. Um, but really I'm forgetful. I just forget so much. And because of this, sometimes I forget what I'm doing. Like in the moment, I just forget what I, what's going on or what I was supposed to be doing next. And it like drives me nuts. Like I can't think of anything I can't think about anything else until I finish it. Like I think of something in the car that I need to do when I get home. And when I get home, I spend 20 minutes trying to figure out what that thing was that I was supposed to be doing. And it drives me nuts. Like, what am I doing here? Does anyone else know what I'm talking about possibly? Yeah, uh, maybe, hopefully you guys do. You can ask Garrett, my office mate here at the church. I'm the biggest to-do list guy. Like I have probably, 15 lists total. I have a couple on my phone and my notes. I have them on my reminders app on my phone. I have post-it notes on my computer. I probably have four to-do lists on that big whiteboard in our office. And I'm sure it drives him crazy, like all these different lists. But like, I have to have this to get things done. And I don't know why, it keeps me more focused maybe, or I love the satisfaction of checking something off or erasing it, which I really do. That's so nice when you get to do that. But lists, man, lists help me so much. They keep me straight, they keep me in order, and really lists are great for everything. And, and so actually, if you're online or, or in person, I want you to grab a pen and paper. And if you're in person, you got a little uh, pamphlet of cards. I want you to grab that and get that ready because we're gonna use that at the end of service to make a list. I'm not gonna tell you the list yet, I'm not gonna ruin that, but really this whole series comes down to making a list, a simple list that will help us and guide us into these next few weeks. Uh, but yeah, I'll get back to that later. But back to my reasoning for using lists so often. I do this because I so, so often forget what I'm doing. I forget what's going on. I get sidetracked talking to somebody in the office or a funny commercial comes on the TV and distracts me. I just get sidetracked so easily and so often. I ask myself, like, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? What was I supposed to be doing? I, I have to think and, and sit and like really focus and try to remember. Does anyone else feel that way ever? I obviously can't tell, but I'm guessing it's a good chunk of you out there who are raising your hands. I'm guessing I'm not alone. I think we often just forget what's going on because we got so many things going on in our busy lives. Now I'm gonna ask another question though. And this question, I know I'm guilty of, of doing this. 
do you ever get to church and it may not feel the same as other times that you ask this question, what am I doing here? But you walk into church and you may forget, what am I doing here? So what are you doing at church today? Are you here just because it's your typical routine to wake up on Sunday mornings and go to church or come after work on Saturday night? Are you here just because your family comes and so you just come along because you feel like you have to? Are you here for blank? As Christians and as a church leadership, we say our purpose and the reason we are here is to make more and better followers of Jesus. That's what we're here to do, and that's our goal. We remind ourselves of this each and every time we're planning an event or a service. We remind ourselves so we don't forget. We are here to make more and better followers of Jesus. It's the Great Commission. It's what we're called to do as Christians. And we ask ourselves if what we're doing is going to lead to making more and better followers. And that's why we're jumping into this series, The Invitation. This whole series, it's three weeks long, and it's all about inviting people to church inviting people into this, to this mission of making more and better followers of Jesus. This three-week series leads up to a huge weekend here at River Glen. It's our show-up weekend on September 12th and 13th. This is our all-out effort to reach others, to reach out to our neighbors, to our friends, co-workers, family, anybody that you can think of. It's our all-out effort to reach out to them and invite them to know who Jesus is, to know the story of who Jesus is, we want to remind the church, us, the collective unit, me, you, all the staff, everyone, we want to remind us what we're doing here. We're here to make more and better followers of Jesus, and we can't forget that. It's too easy to walk in and forget what we're doing here. And so these three weeks, we're going to dive in and look at how Jesus, the perfect example, how Jesus personally invited people to be a part of his story, to be a part of his church. There's so many things that we can learn from the way that Jesus lived and loved and the way he served and invited others into his story. And the specific story that we're going to look at today starts in John 4. So you can grab your Bibles or whatever you have. It's going to be on the screen as well. But John 4, the background of this is that Jesus and his disciples are traveling. They're, they're traveling and spreading the good news, the gospel. They've been doing it for a while now. And this time specifically, they're traveling from Jerusalem back to Galilee where they live. Jesus is walking along with his disciples. He sends them up ahead to go get food, and he stops at this well uh, at high noon. He stops at this well. He stops to take a break and to sit down and relax. And before I get started into this story a little deeper, I just want to go ahead and, and warn you that this whole interaction that Jesus has at this well, it's a little weird. It may not seem super weird on the outside, but it is, and I'll explain it. But this is a weird interaction. And it starts with Jesus sitting at the well in verse 5. It says this, Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sakar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jo Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. All right, pause. This is weird, right? First, Jesus stopped at the hottest part of the day at this well in the middle of a desert, in the middle of a field with nothing to get water. No, no pan, no bucket, nothing. It's also weird because Jesus spoke to a woman, more specifically a Samaritan woman. Jesus is a Jew and she's a Samaritan. And let me tell you that Jews and Samaritans do not like each other. These people are rivals. It even says in verse 9, says the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. 
She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? They do not like each other. These people groups, they're complete rivals. Let me explain. Like it's more than Packers Bears. It's more than like UNC Duke, more than any other rivalry that you can think of. These people hated each other. They had it out for each other. And there's a lot of reasons that go behind it, but you can even see, I'll give you an example. In the Catholic Bible, in the book of Ben Shirah, in chapter 50, verses 25 and 26, it says this. My whole being loathes two nations, and the third is not even a people. The inhabitants of Syria, Philistine, and the foolish people who dwell in Shechem. Shechem is like the religious hub for the Samaritans. And so what Ben Shirah is saying here is that the people of Samaria are not even a people. The hatred runs deep. It's really deep. These people do not like each other. And so we're seeing the Samaritan woman and Jesus interact. It's weird. Also, we're seeing the Samaritan woman is alone, which is also weird. In this culture, women would never go to a well alone, nor would they go midday, because it's the hottest part of the day. Seeing this, we know that this woman's an outcast, or at least she doesn't want to be seen with other people. She's done something to stop others from being around her, and, and, and this is just a weird interaction. Jesus shouldn't be there. She shouldn't be there. It's the hottest part of the day, so that just stinks, and even more of a reason for them not to be there. Jesus is asking a Samaritan woman for water, This is weird. By all standards, Jesus shouldn't have been there and Jesus shouldn't have spoken to this woman, but he did. It continues in verse 10. It says this, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water and then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here and get water. Please, sir, give me this water. She's begging. She's saying, I want that. Man, that water sounds good. Give me some of that so I don't have to travel up here and and get this water every day and be lonely and be out in, in the heat. She's like, I want that water. I'm tired of walking all this way. Jesus then has to explain a little bit, though, what he's saying. It says this, In verse 16, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied, which Jesus knew. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man that you are living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. What Jesus is doing right here is he's calling her out. He's calling her out because this woman who comes to this well so often is, is looking for something to quench her thirst, figuratively and literally. She's literally looking for water, but figuratively she is seeking, and is seeking for an answer to life. She's looking to men really right now. She's been looking to men her whole life to be quenched, to find joy, to find purpose and peace. But Jesus is saying that will never quench your thirst. He's calling her out and saying all the things of the world will not quench your thirst. I think it's easy for us to judge this woman and say like, man, she's bad. Living with all these men, ooh, like that's not good, right? 
that's us sometimes. It may not be a struggle with looking to women or to men to, to quench our thirst or to make us happy. Maybe it is, though. But it may be looking to money or success, entertainment, alcohol, friends, whatever it is for you. I think we all know that as long as we keep going to the wells of the world, to these wells that the world has to offer, we're going to always come back thirsty. We are missing the well. We're missing Jesus. And the problem here is that a lot of us know that Jesus is the well, that he is the one who quenches our thirst. But we continue to seek elsewhere. We continue to look into the world and try to find things that make us happy and satisfy us. And now, yes, I think we can admit that we all are looking to be quenched in other places besides Jesus. We've done that, right? I know I have. But there's another step to that. We've looked there, but also I, I have friends that are seeking that as well. And some of them, some of them don't even know about this water that Jesus is talking about. And I do. I know about this water. We know about this water. That's what we're learning right now. We know about this water, and we have to be willing to tell our friends about it. Look at the rest of the story. We're going to see this woman at the well respond to the news and the revelation of who Jesus is. When she learned about how amazing Jesus is and, and that our thirst would be quenched by his spirit, check it out uh, in verse 28. This is a crazy story. It says, The woman left her water jug beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming from the village to see him. She ran. She ain't walking. She is running. She's like, oh my goodness, everyone needs to know about this. Everyone needs to know about the Messiah. This news is too good not to tell every single person I know. She runs to the village. Some of these people don't even know about this thing, this water that Jesus is talking about, this well that will spring up true life, true meaning, eternal life with God. She's got passion. She's sprinting to him. Man, why don't we have that passion? Hopefully you know the same thing that she just found out, right? Hopefully you know that Jesus is the answer. Like, yes, part of this message, first remind yourself, yes, remind yourself that you need to seek the water that Jesus is offering ourselves. We need to seek that water. We need to seek the truth of who Jesus is. Stop running to all the wells of the world that will run dry. These things of the world will never satisfy us. That's important. Don't forget that. But then there's a second step. It's not over. It's not over once you figure that out. Run. Run and tell others, like it says in verse 28. Run and tell others about this water. Run and tell others about Jesus. Run and tell others about your community at church and how important it is to you and how it's helped you through the, through the struggles of life. Run and tell others. I hope that when we see the true water of Jesus, that when we taste the true water of Jesus, we want other people to taste it because it's really that good. And we can't think, well, that person, I don't know him well enough, or that person's too far gone, or that person's too different than me. No, everyone needs to know this good news of who Jesus is. Jesus and this woman had nothing in common. Absolutely no reason to even look at each other, much less speak and have a conversation. But there he was. He wasn't there by accident. Jesus didn't do things by accident. No way. He was there because he sought this woman out. He sought out a woman who needed to hear the good news, who needed to know about this water that would quench her thirst. So she would stop seeking elsewhere. And so I have a question. 
Are you pushing yourself to seek people out who need to hear the good news? Are you running to tell people the good news? Are you running to tell people that there is something that will save their lives, that will change their lives and give them new meaning, that will quench their thirst for forever? I mean, at this point, I wouldn't be mad if I heard that half of you just started running out of the auditorium. Really, go ahead, run, that's fine. But I want you to stay. But really, are we paying attention? Are we looking out for people who we need to run to tell about Jesus? Are we looking out for people who need to be invited into this story? Are we looking for people who need community? Are we looking for people who need to be loved on, who are lost? We have to seek them out and personally invite them, personally ask them to be a part of the story. I recently found some stats that are even more of an encouragement and even more of a reason that we need to get out and actually ask somebody to church. The stats are this, 51% of unchurched people said a personal invitation from a friend or neighbor would be effective in getting them to church. 55% of unchurched people said a personal invitation from a family member would be effective in getting them to visit. Both those stats, over half the amount, half the people you would invite would come. 51% and 55%. Let me tell you, that percentage, that is higher than a church Instagram post. That's higher than a postcard we could send them. That's more than a Bible verse that you may post on your social media. More than any other method, more than any other thing, you asking another person, a human asking another human, you asking a friend or a family member, that is more effective. It has a chance to change the life of someone around you. It has the chance to change the lives of people around you. We have, to, we have to be willing to run for that. And let me tell you, if you do this, if we all did this, we would get the chance to see God move. We would get the chance to see God move in incredible ways through this city and through this area. What is stopping us? I know it's easier said than done. I struggle with this. I struggle to invite people. It's hard. It's kind of awkward. I'm afraid they'll say no, right? Which some will. I'm afraid they'll look at me weird, which some will probably. But again, what's stopping us? I don't think that's enough. All those things come down to our pride or to our fear. And I don't think our pride and fear is enough to stop us from spreading the good news of who Jesus is. We can't let that be what holds us back from helping people find the true meaning of life, finding the grace and love and peace that God offers us. It's too good. It's too good. We can't let that be what stops us. We have to be willing to run and spread the good news. Now, I don't know if you knew before today, but I'm the middle school pastor, like I said earlier. And being the middle school pastor, I spend a ton of time with kids, which some of you may think is crazy. Sometimes it is. Um, but I truly love it. I love getting to be around students and, and seeing them learn and figure out what faith truly is at a young age. And man, when they get it, they get it. It's so fun to see a student get what it means to have faith and get what it means to be on mission. I think sometimes they may get it, then they may get it better than us adults sometimes. When they get it, it's fun to see. For example, I'm going to tell you a story real quick about a girl in our youth ministry. Her name is Anna. Anna had a friend at school, and she heard that her friend, her father had passed away. Anna knew that she had an awesome community back at, at youth group. 
And she just knew that her friend needed that during this time, during this trial of her life. And Anna wasn't afraid. She didn't let her fear or pride hold her back. She said, I want that girl to experience what I have because it's that good. Now her and her friend are always there at Edge. Her and her mom now come to the church and have built community with Anna and her family just because of a simple invite. Another story comes from our leaders in the youth ministry, one of them, uh, Tori Cole, who was on stage last week. She invited her friend when she was in eighth grade. That friend turned out to be Carson Jeske. And Carson works for the church here at River Glen, and he does just about everything here as far as maintaining the grounds in the building. And I don't know where we'd be without Carson. But he's here because of a simple invite. The reason I tell you this is because you need to understand the gravity of the invite. The invite has power to change lives and people. I think we can learn something from the students and children because when they get passionate, they don't have these things holding them up. They just go for it. They have a pursuit for God. They don't let things like fear or pride hold them back. They're just ready to go. They know they have a place where people love them and they feel welcome and they want their friends to know so they run and tell people. Jesus called us to have a childlike heart in Matthew 18. I think it's for a reason. We have to be willing to put everything else behind us, our pride and our fear, and just go relentlessly after people and run relentlessly to people and invite them to know the story of who Jesus is. We have to know how important that is. This well, the well that never runs dry, this living water, we have to want people to want that. It's a water that will quench their thirst. They don't have to go to the world and and seek these things that will always fall short. We get to tell them about Jesus and offer them a new life. And that's what we're here for. We want to invite them into this community. Let them know that we are here for them. We want to make more and better. And maybe you're thinking like, nah, I'm not about that. I'm too shy or I'm too awkward. I'm not good enough with talking to people. I'm not going to invite people. I can't do that. But really quick, I want to mention one more story. One more story. There's a kid who had a friend who invited him to youth group. The next week, this one kid and his friend went and, and the kid loved it. He was just like, this is amazing. He started going every week. Eventually, he told his family, his siblings, he had a brother and a sister. He said, you have to come with me. It's so much fun. Those kids started going and eventually the mom started going and and saying, I guess there's got to be something there. Then the dad started going as well. Eventually the father went to church and and eventually he went to seminary. He went to school to be a pastor. He was a pastor for 50 years. He found this passion. He found out what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and he was all for it. Now that kid ended up going to Bible college as well to be a pastor. And he was a pastor for his whole life. That kid was my dad. My dad being invited led to my grandpa being a pastor for 50 years and to my dad being a pastor for his whole life and to to me now being a pastor. The amount of people that my dad and my grandpa impacted, it's, it's, I can't even imagine. The ripple effect of an invite, it's huge. You don't realize what a simple invite can do. It can change generation after generation. And so as you walked in today to service, you received a packet of five invite cards with a place to make a list of five people who you need to invite to Show Up Weekend. If you're watching online, you can go onto our website under the Show Up Weekend tab and get all these resources as well. And as the band comes forward to play, we challenge you to write five names. 
write five names of the people who in your life who you know that need Jesus. They need to be invited to the story of Christ. We all know people that we need to run after and give them a personal invitation. Maybe they've been searching in all the wrong wells. They've been looking to the world for satisfaction, but they've always turned up empty. We want to make more and better. We want people to know who Jesus is and what he is offering them. It's better than what the world has, let me tell you that. So write down those names. Write specific names of people you need to invite to church.